and welcome. You're listening to IASA's Additional Coverage Podcast, episode lucky number 13. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage one more time, I'm pleased to welcome Tip Tipton. Howdy, everyone. Tip is the head of accounting policy at Thrivent and one of the spokespeople for interested parties. Today is the final of three consecutive episodes where we're going to talk about some important regulatory changes that are happening. But first, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. For example, if you weren't aware, IASA has a career center for job posters and job seekers in the insurance industry. Find out more at IASA.org. Well, Tip, so far we've talked about revisions to the state page for life, fraternal, and health insurers. We've talked about the related parties reporting requirements for 2022. This time we're going to unpack what's happening at the NEIC with regards to a new principles-based bond definition that will have far-reaching reporting impacts to investment accountants in the industry. How about starting with just a 50,000-foot view of why they want to do this and what it entails? Thanks, Tim. And I'm honing in on your word there. You said unpack. I think the expression is we might be unpacking for several years on this topic. It is a major revision to how bonds are defined and even more significantly impacts to the reporting of the bonds. But before I get into some of those details, what I'd like to share is how did we get here? Let me point out a few items. Some of you might remember the global financial crisis, sometimes referred to as the Great Recession back in 08, 09. There were some significant challenges experienced in investments. Also, a growing proportion of insurance companies, particularly life insurers, are being owned by private equity firms. Also, believe it or not, there was a prolonged low-rate environment placing pressure on the entire industry. This past year, yes, interest rates have gone up significantly, which creates its own challenges. There's also been a greater use of smaller rating agencies who have a different philosophy on how they choose to rate certain investments. There's also a greater proportion of bespoke or customized investment products and specifically structured products to enhance yield and lower RBC requirements. Also, insurers are using reinsurance more and more. Also, there's a recognition that the current regulatory framework utilized by the states and NEAC is somewhat antiquated. And maybe it's time to clean out the closet and look at things maybe a different way. So in this case, there is a lot of factors contributing to the proposed changes that I'm getting ready to talk about. Yeah, it can be kind of scary to look in that closet, can't it? <laughs> uh, hopefully not too many skeletons. So what I'm going to talk about today is there's accounting changes being proposed by SAPWIG. SAPWIG is, stands for Statutory Accounting Principles Working Group at the NAIC. They are in charge of making changes to the accounting for insurance companies. I'll also talk about some reporting changes. All these changes that are being proposed are coming from SAPWIG or being sponsored by SAPWIG. Ultimately, this is expected to go into effect January 1st of 2025. Now, this is 
a one-year deferral from what they originally talked about of January 1st, 2024. Bottom line is, it has to go into effect at the beginning of a year because of reporting requirements. So now you have an idea of when these changes might go into effect. Let's talk a little bit more about what the heck are they doing? Exactly. So they have... <laughs> And if someone can understand what they're doing, please let me know. The project name actually is Principles-Based Bond Definition Project. That's a lot of words. I sometimes refer to it as the bond project. And a lot of people know what that means that have been involved with it over the past couple of years. So first, I want to talk about when they want to define a bond, what does that mean? So I'll be looking at the exposure from the summer national meeting at the NEIC, and this is what they exposed. A bond shall be defined as any security representing a creditor relationship whereby there is a fixed schedule for one or more future payments and which qualifies as either an issuer credit obligation or asset-backed security. Keep those two concepts familiar because it will permeate the discussion as we move forward. But here's the key aspect of this. Determining whether a security represents a creditor relationship should consider its substance rather than solely the legal form of the instruments. And what's happening is people saying, well, the form, the legal form says it's X. But once you look through it, it's like, mm, the substance says it's Y. And so I think that's where, in my opinion, certain insurers with certain investments are getting more scrutiny on those investments. Just talked about two kinds of bonds, if you will, that they're talking about now. And these two categories will drive not only accounting, but also the reporting. ICO, standing for issuer credit obligation, is a bond, the repayment of which is supported primarily by the general credit worthiness of an operating entity or entities. So it's based on its ability to generate cash flow from its operations. Next is ABS, or asset-backed security. This one is a bond issued by an entity, sometimes referred to as ABS issuer, created for the primary purpose of raising debt capital backed by financial assets or cash-generating non-financial assets owned by the ABS issuer, whereby repayment is primarily derived from the cash flows associated with the underlying defined collateral rather than the cash flows of an operating entity. Okay, what does that really mean? So a good example might be a mortgage-backed security. So an entity may gather a bunch of individual mortgage loans, securitize them, and they have a mortgage-backed security or an asset-backed security. And those cash flows that are derived from those mortgage loans are then packaged and passed through uh, to the lenders and the borrowers. So there's a couple additional levels on ABS that I'd like to highlight. And by the way, there's an infinite more amount of detail on this that I'm not going to go through because if you wanted to be here for another hour or so, we could go through it. But I think the key here is hit the key points and we'll talk about takeaways later in. Assets owned by the ABS issuer are either financial assets or cash generating non-financial assets. So what does that mean? Financial assets is what we just talked about, mortgage loans, right? So cash generating non-financial assets are defined as assets that are expected to generate a meaningful level of cash flows toward repayment of the bond. And for instance, it could be through use, licensing, leasing, 
servicing or management fees are just some examples there. The holder of a debt instrument issued by an ABS issuer is in a different economic position than if the holder owned the ABS issuer's assets directly. So think of it this way. If I own 100 mortgage loans, and then for some reason I decided to securitize them and buy a mortgage-backed security, and there's some complexities in how that's derived, but I would actually be in a different economic position if I bought the mortgage-backed security. So those are some of the key aspects and terms that will permeate this new definition based on what SAPWIG has exposed. Now, I will say that just recently, interested parties have submitted their comments, and this topic is expected to be addressed at the December national meeting, which will talk about next steps. Should we re-expose this? Should we move forward? What are What's going to happen? And the reason I talk about that is we're going to get into the reporting here in just a minute. In order for all this to be adopted and effective for January 1st, 2025, the reporting changes need to be adopted in just a mere one and a half years. And you think, well, that's not too bad. You'll understand that how complex that might be. Right. It sounds like it's a long time and it really is not. So next, let's talk about blanks. So as I mentioned before, SAPWIC actually is sponsoring the changes, not only to the accounting side of it, but the reporting side. So right now, the Blanks Working Group hasn't gotten directly involved in this yet. So what SAPWIC is doing is exposed a couple items to identify new reporting lines on Schedule D Part 1, where bonds are currently reported, and also identify new data fields that are going to be part of the columns of Schedule D Part 1. But before we move down that path, there is a significant change to Schedule D Part 1. Schedule D Part 1 will now have two sections. Schedule D Part 1, Section 1 will be ICO or Issuer Credit Obligations. Section 2 will be ABS or Asset-Backed Securities. Keep that in mind. I mentioned that earlier on with the accounting changes. Now the reporting changes. Oh, but wait, there's more. We're going to talk about possible RBC changes in a little bit and how that may play out because of these two particular sections. Can I interject a question here? So in the recent years, we've seen additional lines added to the Schedule BA for things like bonds with characteristics of, of equities and, and vice versa. Do you see a lot more securities falling into that category of a, a migration, if you will, of BA assets or two BA assets from Schedule D? That's an excellent question, Tim. And that's one of the concerns industry is having within the new accounting definition of a bond, that if for some reason an investment doesn't comply with the new definition of Schedule D bond, then it goes to Schedule BA. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get a much higher RBC factor. Traditionally, it's about 30%. There are some other, as you highlighted, other categories that could have bond-like treatment for RBC purposes, but that's still being worked on. But it's, it's a great question, something to consider as you go and each entity does evaluate these new categories, which I'd like to begin highlighting now. So as I mentioned, there's now going to be two sections, one's for ICO and one for ABS. And there are a good many different lines. Now, each line may or may not have sublines, which is unaffiliated versus affiliated splits. Obviously, U.S. government obligations uh, will only have unaffiliated because as far as I know, they're not affiliated with any insurer. And as we move forward, 
uh, there are definitions. One of the key aspects that interested parties has encouraged staff to do at the NEAC is to make sure the definitions are clear and succinct as possible. So when industry populates these new categories, everybody understands what's in there. Now, I will say this. There is an infamous category called other ICO. This is not a dumping ground. You need to go thoroughly and vet all the other categories, and you need to substantiate why you would put an investment in other ICO. So a little bit of uh, wiggle room there, huh? Yes, and the regulators have already said that they're targeting that particular category. So, I, you know, I caution insurers to be cautious when they start to categorize their investments. So I just talked about ICOs, now ABS, asset-backed securities. This one's going to be a little different. There are new concepts in terminology. Self-liquidating, practical expedient, full analysis. This section with asset-backed securities is really the crux of the changes. What regulators are attempting to do is kind of look through, if you will, what's backing these investments. How are they structured to determine are they appropriately categorized as a bond? So this is an area that will get a lot of scrutiny. And let me give you an example. At Thrivent, my company, I know several other companies have done this as well. As of December 31st, 2021, we took our investments on Schedule D Part 1, and then we started recategorizing each and every single item into the new categories that are being proposed. It did raise some questions, and we feel that it was an opportunity for us to better understand what they're proposing and possibly suggest changes. So I would encourage all insurers to start now and look at your existing holdings and categorize them in the new lines that are being proposed. This will give you the opportunity to be prepared in case there's any unexpected consequences or things you may not have would have liked to see. And the new categories, the new lines are available for public consumption for our insurers to go out and see? That is correct, Tim. Uh, they are, they're exposed out on Sapwig's website. And in December, when the materials come out for Sapwig meeting, uh, you'll all not only see the exposure, but you'll also see our comment letter as well. Highlights all of the items that we've suggested. I will give a call out to the NEC staff as well as regulators. We have been working with them for almost a year and a half on this project. And it's great to have the opportunity to sit there and discuss these topics. They have listened to us and some of the suggestions and we're listening to them as well to understand what exactly they're needing. And so I think this is definitely a positive collaborative effort and we want to make sure that everybody is aware of what's happening. And this is why, you know, working with Tim here on this particular podcast, because this is a major, major change for investment schedules. And so, as I mentioned before, there's descriptions for all these categories. I encourage you to look at those and evaluate them and be part of the process. And so that was just the rows. Now we're going to talk about columns. So what are the columns? So what they've done with the columns is you can imagine there's going to be the ICO columns and ABS. And so they've identified certain printed or PDF columns, and there's been some tweaks there. Uh, there are now electronic only columns, certain ones that are specifically for issuer credit obligations, and certain ones that are specifically for asset-backed securities. And this is important because of the nature of those transactions. And so as we 
venture through this particular exposure, there are some unique items that I'd like to highlight. One is they're proposing that asset-backed securities no longer be reported as a short-term investment or a cash equivalent. And so uh, that's going to be a very interesting aspect, and there's going to be some additional changes needed for SSAP2R. Now, does that include ABSs that are purchased late in their maturity? That's that's a great call out, Tim. Uh, that's the exact exa- example that we've used. And he said, why? It's less than a year. It should be on short-term investments. And they said, no, if they're looking, what they're looking at is the risk. Gotcha. The risk of that specific investment. And so they want it to be on the ABS on Schedule D. And especially with the lower charges, that can be a bit more inherent risk there. And that's even a, a better one is that sometimes they don't even apply uh, a risk charge or very direct de minimis risk charge there, there. So There you go. And so the, the columns really need to be reevaluated. Some of these are new data. And so it's going to be very, very important that you start to scrutinize maybe potentially revised data or new data. So as I mentioned before, uh, just evaluate, see if there's any concerns or questions based on your portfolio. So that pretty much summarizes the changes at this time. Keeping in mind, SAPWIC is sponsoring these changes. These have not gone into the official blanks yet. And let me tell you why. This is just the first domino in a series of dominoes that need to fall in this effort. And that is because you've only got Schedule D, Part 1, Section 1, and Section 2. That's just the holdings. Then you've got all the acquisitions and disposals. You've got roll forwards. There's a lot of changes that need to happen. So that's why I mentioned earlier, you've got about a year and a half before all these need to be adopted. If in fact, it's going to be effective for 1125, there's going to be a lot of blanks changes coming forth. And so this is an opportunity as well for you to get involved in the interested parties process and have your voice heard. As you said, not just the part one, but the three, four and five definitely will be affected. So absolutely, we'll want to stay on top of what's happening. So you've got one more section to, to talk about, right? You mentioned RBC earlier. What's What do you see happening with that? Well, I, I've kind of looked at this whole project as kind of a four-pronged approach. You're looking at, talked about earlier, the counting changes from SAPWIG. So blanks will support ultimately the changes to the reporting, the annual statement. You've got RBC, which they've got, I would say, kind of a new working group called RBC, Investment Risk and Evaluation Working Group. And they are actually specifically talking about potential RBC factor changes to certain ABS. I'll get to that in a second. And that fourth prong is the valuation. How are certain bonds going to be valued from an SVO perspective? And I'll talk briefly about that. But the key here is what's going on at RBC? There are currently on this working group's working agenda, they're going to evaluate the RBC treatment of certain ABS and specifically CLOs, collateralized loan obligations, and collateralized fund obligations, or CFOs. Also, they're evaluating the treatment of residual tranches, which, by the way, are currently reported on Schedule BA. But wait, there's more. Remember last year, 2021, we had the bond factors, long time coming, the factors changes. They actually have on their working agenda a phase two of bond analysis. Why is this important? What did I mention earlier? You now have two sections within Schedule D Part 1 where you're separating out ICO and ABS. Maybe this is that opportunity for the RBC Working Group to evaluate 
bonds in a different light that they haven't had in the past. So this is why you want to keep an eye on what's going on in this particular working group, because it's expected that bond factors could easily change for specific types of ABS and other investments. So for this new working group, get there early, get your seat, because people are going to be highly interested in what's going on. Exactly. And as this process moves forward and more definition becomes clearer, yeah, changes, they will be a common. All right. As I mentioned just a little bit ago, sort of the fourth prong is some of the work that's going on at the SVO. There's still some work in terms of how they want to consider valuing certain bonds, whether or not they get a, for instance, a filing exempt on certain assets. And this one really is very, very gray. There's still not clear direction. So I would recommend that, again, you will follow the Valuation of Securities Task Force and what's going on at the SVO, because this also will have downstream ramifications from the changes that we've talked about earlier. So as I said, a lot of moving parts. And I just want to you know, thank everybody for the opportunity to share what has been going on. I've had the opportunity to work with a, a lot of individuals throughout the industry on this. I encourage you to work with your trade groups and others to make sure that you keep on top of this. This is a major change and could impact your organization either through RBC, through processes, or investment philosophy. It is a lot to consider. And did you say that this is going to go into effect next year? <laughs> uh, I hope not. Wake up, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> right now, the plan is January 1st, 2025. Uh, it was originally January 1st, 2024. Uh, obviously, that can't happen for a variety of reasons, but we'll see. I've, I'm focusing on what we can do as an industry, and that's my job. And we'll, we'll move forward and, and see what we can, can help out with. But we've been very fortunate to have a seat at the table with the NEC staff and the state regulators, and they've been good to work with. Great. And you know, when we think about, as you said, there's a lot left to do there, but there's a lot to do from... Uh, our listener standpoint, our, the, our insurance carriers, what would you say is the call to action, if you will, for those guys? Sure. I would say two points. First is go to the NEC website, specifically SAPWIG, start tracking what's going on, keep on top of that because it's going to impact SAPWIG, the Blanks Working Group, the RBC family of working groups and task force, as well as the Valuation Securities Task Force. Keep on top of that. And then secondly, Start to change process now. Go out, identify your holdings today in the current categories, and then how would they transition over into the new categories? And at that point, what's important is if you have any issues or questions, raise them. You'd be surprised how many other companies have similar issues. Exactly. The key to preparedness is starting early, as with anything that we do. The, the sooner you take a look at it, the sooner you assimilate it, the sooner you start looking at how it's going to impact your own reporting, your own systems, even the downstream things that are within your own organization, the better prepared you're going to be. And you'll be looking at all the people that are laughing at the end going, you know, and hey, you know, we, we started ahead of time. Why didn't you start out of time? <laughs> hey, it's been such a privilege to spend these past few weeks with you, Tip. So on behalf of our listeners, thank you for sharing your knowledge and understanding. That's about all the time that we have for today's podcast. But Tip, could you give our listeners your contact information just one more time? Sure. You can reach me at my email. It's tip.tipton at thrivent.com. And I look forward to your insights and feedback.
And if you should have any comments about the show or any show suggestions, which I always welcome, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Join me for our next episode when Todd Greenbaum from Input One will talk about the effects of economic changes on the insurance industry. You'll not want to miss this. It's going to be another good one. Until then, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Tip Tipton. Have a great day. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode. Let your colleagues know. Let your friends know about the show. We want the entire insurance industry following along, especially for topics like this one that are just so important. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.